From the Ryerson Review of Journalism, this is Pull Quotes. I'm Jacob McNair. And I'm Laura Howells. This week on the show, the news tries something new. CBC Toronto recently published a web story that looks very different from what you might usually see on the site. We'll talk to the public broadcaster about why it's translating into Tamil. And our own school, Ryerson, has a new friend. Ryerson's journalism school is partnering with Facebook on a digital news incubator. But Facebook and journalism aren't exactly a perfect pair. And our guest is skeptical about this relationship. You're listening to Pull Quotes. Thanks for joining us. CBC Toronto Oden Matame Pesia Irende Tolilala Halin Kertapadi. What you're hearing is a recent CBC story by Chris Glover. It's about Tamil men hired from India to work on a Hindu temple in Toronto. The workers say they were underfed, underpaid, and faced terrible living conditions on the job site. But when CBC published the story this month, it put two versions online, one in English and another version of the story translated into the Tamil language. It's an unusual move for the public broadcaster, but you may start seeing more CBC translations. Marissa Nelson is the senior managing director for CBC Ontario. She joined Laura on the phone from Toronto. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Marissa. Thanks for having me. So why did CBC decide to publish a version of this story translated into Tamil? So one of CBC Toronto's uh, key priorities is to connect with many different communities in the city. Um, We are trying every way we can to connect with audiences that don't necessarily uh, watch our TV show or listen to one of our radio shows or have our app. So we're trying to find ways of connecting with those communities from different backgrounds, from, you know, different locations, different neighborhoods. So our enterprise unit uh, had been working on uh, the Tamil story. And when it was quite clear that we were going to uh, be able to publish the story and broadcast the story, um, the, the editorial team started talking about, well, how can we make sure that we uh, connect this story with the Tamil community? Because we really want them to see this story in particular. So that's when we started talking about translating it into Tamil. Is this the first time that CBC has published a story in a language other than English or French? No, uh, no, it's not. Um, So obviously, we're from the English services side of CBC Radio Canada, so we largely uh, and almost exclusively publish in English. There are other parts of the um, local services that publish in eight Indigenous languages, but CBC Toronto largely publishes in um, English. But we have uh, before, we have done this before. It was with another enterprise uh, story that we did around a mortgage scheme that involved the, uh, the Chinese community. And in that case, we translated it, and we also uh, connected with a Chinese-language publication and published that story in the Chinese-language newspaper. Again, the idea is we're trying to reach out to that community. Maybe they don't um, speak English, or maybe they don't, you know, associate themselves with CBC Toronto, so we want them to know that we're here and we're telling their stories. What is the decision-making process like behind deciding which stories should warrant translation? I mean, how far up the chain does this kind of have to go? 
Well, they not that far. I mean, they went up to the managing editor of, of CBC Toronto. I think the enterprise senior producer and then the executive producer of news sort of talked about it and then talked to the managing editor. I, I think their, their, their decision, and they certainly know for me, reaching out to new, different, diverse communities is a high, high priority. So um, I think the decision was easy in terms of they were like, okay, we need to connect with the Tamil community. How, we, how do we do that? They looked into trying to find a local uh, Tamil news outfit that we could partner with the same way we did with the Ch- Chinese mortgage story. But they found that uh, most of those outfits are actually foreign, even if they closely follow stories in the GTA. So then they decided, well, instead of perhaps just partnering with uh, another agency, what we'll do is we will publish it in Tamil and then do sort of a heavy social media push to still try to connect with with that community. I mean, there is, you do have to add, you know, a layer of decision making because it takes time, it takes money to have, in this case, we paid a professional translator to do the work. So it is faster, but obviously it costs money. So it's something that we um, aren't going to do for every story, obviously, but we're trying to pick where we think it's really important. So what we've been focused on, at least thus far, is focused on enterprise original stories that we think are directly connected to particular communities. Yeah, I was going to ask about sort of how resource intensive this is. What are the kind of challenges of translating a piece of journalism? I, I think you need to be sure that the translation is done professionally and by somebody who has sort of a professional background in translation, because you want to make sure that the that the tone and the nuance that the first language has is there in the second language. But, you know, I think the more we do this, the more we'll sort of start to get a Rolodex of, well, there's a couple of things, a Rolodex of translators that we think are good. So if we do, if and when we decide we're going to translate another Tamil story, we'll know where we want to go. But, you know, the interesting thing about this story is it had a huge response from the Tamil community. We heard from the Tamil community there was like a Tamil language uh, radio show that was done that went, you know, kind of crazy and there was lots of call-ins. So I think it was effective because I know that the Tamil community took notice and was talking about it. Yeah. uh, So what's the web traffic been like on that translated version of the story compared to, say, the English version? Well, I, I, I'll go, good, good question. So it wasn't nearly as much as the English version. Um, the English version got picked up by sort of the network, you know, so it went across the country. But the Tamil story got really good uh, pickup, and it also got really high engagement. So, um, and that's more and more something that we're watching. So people who were uh, consuming the Tamil story spent a lot of time with it and went to the bottom of the story instead of just, you know, quick read the headline and disappear. They were really engaged with it and certainly engaged with it on social in terms of sharing the Tamil version around, which which is great. Again, that's how, I, I mean, our strategy was to make sure we were creating something that could also be easily shared in Tamil on social media. So that, again, the idea is trying to not infiltrate, but get it to the community who was directly uh, impacted or directly interested in it. And the effort seemed to be paying off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we found that with the Chinese mortgage story as well. You know, we got a lot of feedback um, from the Chinese community, which is exactly what we want, right? We want them to know that we're here and we want to tell their stories and that we care um, and are passionate about their stories. So, yeah, it definitely works. I mean, it takes 
takes a bit more investment, takes a bit more time, takes a bit more planning. But when you choose the right stories to do it for, it's certainly paying dividends. You mentioned this happening perhaps more in the future. How much more do you think we're going to start seeing from the CBC in terms of uh, stories translated into different languages? Well, I think it probably depends on which uh, part of the CBC you're looking at. You know, this is CBC Toronto, and obviously the, the makeup of Toronto is very different than some of the other stations, and we have lots of stations across the country. Um, what I would say is uh, all of those local stations are really focused on enterprise and original uh, stories. It's what differentiates us. It sets us apart. Um, so we're really focused on telling the stories that, um, that have impact. So certainly from, from my perspective, we've tried it uh, twice now. We had a really good effect. Um, so now I want to see, um, and it will be focused on enterprise and investigative stories. I would say that for sure. I just want to see as our enterprise unit is still relatively new. Um, so as they start to get more and more of these stories in the diverse communities we're trying to reach out to, it'll be interesting to see how, how many we can do. Any uh, any talk of rolling out uh, stories on radio or television in uh, in Tamil or Chinese or other languages? Uh, no, we actually haven't talked about that. Um, that's a good question. We we have. Uh, I mean, obviously on digital we've done it, and we've done uh, we've done text on video uh, for social in um, in Chinese and and Tamil. Um, haven't talked about doing TV and um, radio, but that's an interesting question. That was Marissa Nelson, Senior Managing Director for CBC Ontario. Now, CBC worked with the Tamil Workers Network when they were reporting that story. And Karasia Kalendran is the coordinator for the network. She talked to me about the response she heard from the Tamil community. Talking to Tamil community members that we are part of, um, several people said that normally if it's CBC, the language is too much for them um, in terms of their English accessibility. So they would tend to just watch the TV broadcast and just uh, scan through the uh, print article. But because of this translation, this story got shared so far that um, Tamil Workers Network got contacted from as far away as Australia, Switzerland, UK, and even received thanks, personal thanks from individuals, community members from Tamil Nadu, um, thanking the Tamils in Canada for standing up for their um, citizens. Karasia sees a translation as going beyond tokenism and as a real act of inclusion. Like normally what would have happened is the onus would have fallen on the community to uh, translate and then broadcast. But in no way would we have had the kind of uh, footprint, like the media footprint for broadcasts as, as CBC would have had. Um, and having, and you know, what Laura was, what was more, was more effective was having the English our language article carry the embed for the Tamil article. So it showed the the duality of nature for um, Canadians in in linguistics. Right, mm-hmm. vast majority of us are multilingual, be it you know the traditional English and French, but there's so many more languages. That to, that to me is what I think the Tamil community has taken away, but not just the Tamil community as evidenced by the calls received from other communities, is that here is a way to watch CBC, uh, which is like the flagship uh, journalism for Canada, but knowing that you have your language in there. That was Karsia Kalendran, communications lead with the Toronto and York Region Labour Council and coordinator for the Tamil Workers Network.
And a big thanks to Sassinthini Sivasilan, who voiced the Tamil version of that CBC article at the start of the show. You can find links to that article in both English and Tamil on our website at rrj.ca. As you know, this podcast is produced out of Ryerson University. And last week, there was a pretty big event at the school. And, um, next, we'll turn it over to um, Kevin Chan, who's the head of Public Policy Canada for uh, Facebook and Instagram. That's right, Facebook has teamed up with Ryerson's Journalism School and DMZ Tech Incubator to launch something called the Digital News Innovation Challenge. It's a program that will give funding and mentorship to five startups that want to solve problems in digital journalism. Facebook will be giving $100,000 in capital to each team, plus $50,000 worth of Facebook marketing. It's part of the Facebook Journalism Project, which the company started more than a year ago as a way to forge stronger ties with the news industry. Um, I, I guess I'll just take a few moments to say, you know, uh, as you all know, I'm sure Facebook wasn't originally built uh, for news. Built for friends and family to connect. Um, but of course, it is the case uh, today uh, that millions of Canadians and many more around the world do uh, go to Facebook and get at least some part of their news uh, from Facebook. Um, and that's why we created the Facebook Journalism Project. Uh, yeah, Facebook's relationship with journalism is fraught, to say the least. The company takes a major chunk of online ad dollars, and publishers can be at the mercy of Facebook's often-changing algorithm for much of their web traffic. And recently, Facebook announced new changes to its algorithm that will de-emphasize content from news websites. And then, of course, there's Facebook's fake news problem and the role it played in the last U.S. election. Our next guest is wary of this relationship between Facebook and Ryerson. Matthew Ingram is the chief digital writer at the Columbia Journalism Review and has long focused on the intersection between media and technology. He's also a graduate of Ryerson's journalism program from 1987. He spoke to Jacob last week. Hi, Matthew. Hi. So what do you make of Ryerson's journalism school partnering with Facebook on this digital news project? Well, to be honest, I, I have sort of, I'm of two minds. So I'm a little conflicted about it. I mean, obviously, it's great to get funding from pretty much anywhere for projects like this one, because I think it's it's a great effort. It's I think it's a good thing to do. It's going to be presumably great for students and great for the school. And I know it's hard to find financing for those sorts of things. It always involves sponsorships. There's not that many places that have money. Facebook has money. And so, you know, it's an obvious place to go. But at the same time, it bothers me because Facebook is is such a key player, has played a kind of key role in what you could call the decline of the journalism business or the decline of the news business. Um, so Facebook and Google have taken the lion's share of the advertising revenue. And as a result, news is struggling. Now Facebook is changing its algorithm and, and de-emphasizing news. It's It's a it's a sort of problematic company as far as news goes. So it, it makes me uncomfortable in a way that it's 
such a key, playing such a key role in this uh, partnership. So about that algorithm, um, Facebook uh, announced this earlier this month that they're changing their algorithm to favor more personal posts and posts that get more engagement and discussion. Could you explain a bit what that means for news on Facebook? So it's not really clear what it means, but because it's not clear how they're going to define engagement or, you know, they talked about things like meaningful discussion. It's not clear how they're going to define meaningful. They said that even though the general thrust of this is to de-emphasize news, uh, they said it was going to go from, I think, 5% of the average news feed to 4%. They, they did say that they were going to try and introduce uh, high-quality or reputable news into the news feeds, even if it doesn't get a lot of engagement or discussion. The, the only problem is no one knows how they're going to define high-quality or reputable or trustworthy. So it's kind of a, a, as with many things involving Facebook, it's a giant black box. I mean, we have no idea what the algorithm is going to do, but it seems obvious that most news outlets are going to see a decrease in engagement and, and traffic from Facebook. As you say, Facebook is incredibly powerful in the impact it has on the news industry and its um, the share of ad revenue it controls. Do you see a conflict with a journalism school partnering with a company that journalists need to be holding accountable? Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of core of my problem with it, is there's a very obvious conflict, which is that Facebook is playing this controversial role, in, and it's affecting the news industry. And in fact, a lot of the reason why news companies are struggling for revenue has to do with Facebook. And so, you know, on the one hand, it's nice of them to throw a little money around, but at the same time, it feels a little like they're trying to get some sort of PR value out of these efforts while while their main goal is to kind of, you know, effectively replace the news industry with a giant social network. Ryerson does say it's better to be at the table with Facebook. Do you see any value in getting that seat at the table and being able to work with them on something? Uh, I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, it's, that's often the argument that, that people use for, you know, doing deals with controversial places like Facebook or China or, you know, pick a, a, a name. But I, so are you at the table? You're at a table. Is it the most? Is it the table where you're actually going to have any influence on things that happen? I'm not convinced. You know, I think it's there. Ryerson's going to be at sort of the kids' table, if you will. Um, I don't. I don't know that they're going to get that much input or insight into what Facebook is actually doing or thinking. Maybe it's better to have kind of a, even a small foot in the door. Um, I'm not convinced that's going to lead to a huge amount. But but as I said, it's great. It's great to have the financing, and it's, it's, I think it's a great project. Um, I just wish that there was more to it, or I wish that Facebook didn't wasn't playing quite as big a role. You mentioned the financing aspect of it. Facebook is this uh, multi-billion dollar company, and it's giving a whole $500,000 to the project. Should we be demanding more money from Facebook? Well, sure. I mean, we should always be demanding more. I mean, everyone should be demanding more money from Facebook. They've got pretty much all of it, you know, other than Google. So I think it's fair to demand more. I don't think, I mean, $500,000 for Facebook is like, is like you or I spending 
you know, 10 cents or less. It's, it's even smaller than that. So, uh, you know, it's like buying a cup of coffee or something. So it, it may be meaningful for Ryerson. It's certainly not meaningful for Facebook. Based on what you're saying, I mean, this is part of this whole Facebook journalism project about being a better partner to the media, taking more responsibility for the effect it has on on the news industry and on uh, democracy. How much do you see this actually playing out, like being done in good faith? So I think there are definitely people at Facebook who who want to do the right thing, and there are you know, I, I can think of a bunch of them. There are people who who genuinely, you know, b- believe in the goals that that of the Facebook Journalism Project or the the News Integrity Initiative, which is another thing that they funded. So there's, it's not that it's not that it's in bad faith or that or that good things can't be achieved through these initiatives. It's that in the grand scheme of things, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in a vast ocean. So not that, you know, the the Ryerson project isn't a good idea, the Facebook Journalism project isn't a good idea, the News Integrity Initiative isn't a good idea. Lots of potentially beneficial things are going to come out of them. And it's not that Facebook is is sort of wholly cynical and saying, let's just spread a bunch of money around. And I think there are people at Facebook who do care about these topics and they genuinely want to do something. I just think that that they're a tiny drop in the ocean and the funding that Facebook is doing is a tiny drop in the ocean and that the vast bulk of what is Facebook really couldn't care less. So one way or another, now Ryerson is in this partnership with Facebook. Whatever table we're sitting at, we're sitting at a table with them. How should the journalism school move forward from here? How do we make the best use of whatever it is we have? Well, I guess there's two things the school could do. One is just to do as much as possible with with what Facebook has provided and to to just continually try to get more, you know, to get Facebook to do more, to get Facebook to be more involved, to get them to put their not their money where their mouth is, but their their actions where their money is, to get something more than just here's some cash. And and to just do the best you know that they can with the project per se, but I would I would say that I I think Ryerson needs to be as sort of critical as possible. I mean, it's it's easy when you do partnerships like this to get to get kind of sucked into a relationship where well you gave us money so we I guess we better not criticize you or we won't get any more money. And I, I hope I would hope that Ryerson and those involved would would kind of push Facebook as much as possible and criticize them if necessary and kind of test that relationship as opposed to, you know, just taking the money and shutting up. Thanks again for for calling in and talking to us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. That was Matthew Ingram, chief digital writer for the Columbia Journalism Review. So during the launch event for the Digital News Innovation Challenge, we got to talk to someone from Ryerson's journalism faculty Asma Malik is an assistant professor and graduate program director at the Ryerson School of Journalism, and we asked her about some of these concerns. So could you tell us a bit about how you set up this collaborative project with Facebook? 
Facebook originally approached uh, the DMZ with this uh, with an idea for um, coming up with a project around innovation in news, and um, then that conversation like grew to include the School of Journalism. What role does Facebook have in selecting and working with the startups? Um, Facebook's role is no different than that of any other partner. Um, it's really, you know, as um, people are saying earlier, it's really about making sure that the projects that we select are solving an actual problem in journalism and it doesn't really have, it doesn't have to have anything to do with Facebook and Facebook is not um, by any means in a position to make a decision about uh, something outside of the group. Um, so there will be representatives from the School of Journalism, from the DMZ, and from Facebook making decisions on the steering committee. You know, we want to be clear about what are the issues in journalism and we don't want to hold back and if you know social platforms are part of our you know are part of the challenges that uh, news organizations have to or startups have to overcome then we want to be very transparent and clear about that mm -hmm. and they're and they are a part of the problem <laughs> not yeah sorry <laughs> That is, I think, one of the main questions being raised about this whole process, just the amount of influence that Facebook has uh, in the news industry, positive and negative. So how do we hold accountable a company that we're now in a partnership with? I think we, I think we hold them accountable as we would hold any partner accountable. I don't think that we would favor them or ignore the challenges that are that the news industry is facing as a result of Facebook I think that there's a very there has this process has to be as transparent as possible and it's clear that you know it should be clear to applicants that it's not uh, the decision isn't Facebook's do you, do you see any conflict or conflict of interest between a journalism school like Ryerson working with a company that as you say is part of the problem I, I don't see a conflict of interest because I think our interest as a journalism school and our integrity as a journalism school is, you know, our most important thing. And I think that we can't ignore the reality that, you know, Facebook, uh, the new reality for news that's, uh, that happens as a result of Facebook. Um, you know, the Facebook Journalism Project is part of the Trust Project. You know, if we've got these big corporations that are actually affecting the way people consume news, well, we have to pay attention. Like, what is, what, what's happening? As journalists, we have to also understand the behaviors of audiences. So I think that it's not that we're, um, you know, that we're going to, we're, you know, this partnership means that we're compromising our integrity. I think, in fact, we have to, we have to be, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? High, like very vigilant of making sure that we don't cross any lines. But I think it's important to actually understand the perspective of where Facebook is coming from as well. Otherwise, we're not doing our job as journalists, really. $500,000 is a lot more to the university than it is to a multi-billion dollar company like Facebook. Do you feel like this is an asymmetrical relationship? I mean, I think $500,000 isn't going to solve the problem in Canadian news. Um, I do think that as far as initiatives go, this one is like, this one is very targeted and focused and there's really nobody else, you know, aside from foundations and we don't have the same foundation culture in Canada that they do in the States um, to fund this kind of thinking about journalism. So, you know, the DMZ is a logical place for the School of Journalism to be, you know, part of projects that are about innovation and news. And so Facebook's involvement enables that. So that's, you know, that's valuable. 
And so um, once this project is done and the five um, startups have been funded and incubated, um, what happens next? Is the partnership renewed or how long is this We don't know. We're really trying to see how things unfold. I mean, so much of this we're kind of figuring out as we're going along. So there's no, you know, someone asked a question about the judges and like what is who's going to be evaluating the final pitches. That stuff we're still trying to figure out. I mean, it's happened very quickly. That was Asma Malik, Graduate Program Director at the Ryerson School of Journalism. Well, that's it for the show this week. Pull Quotes is a production of the Ryerson Review of Journalism. And as always, you can find more stories about journalism and media on rrj.ca. And follow us on our pretty new Twitter handle, at PollQuotesRRJ. And we really want to hear from you. Send us an email at pullquotes at ryerson.ca. This podcast is produced by Laura Howells, Emily Pardo, and myself, Jacob McNair. Thanks to Angela Glover for all her technical assistance. Executive producers are Sonia Fata and Stephen Trumper. Thanks for listening. See you next week.